I want to start today a little bit different way than, than normally how, how we start messages, uh, not, not a funny story or not uh, choose between Disneyland and Yellowstone kind of morning. Um, as I went through the course of this week and prepared this message, I, I feel like there's always kind of two tracks that are kind of running in the same direction in my life. There, there's a, 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 always a sermon. There's, there's always another sermon to preach, and, and then there's kind of like what Jesus is preaching to me and teaching me. And sometimes those two things kind of cross, and sometimes uh, he unequivocally says, do not talk to them about this yet. Um, and then there are times where like, Jesus, I don't want to talk to them about that yet. And this past week was kind of one of those times where what I felt like he was doing in my own personal life was one of those things that I felt like he was imploring me as the person who he has said, hey, I need you to, to shepherd the flock. I need you to look over these people. I need you to be able to kind of be a little bit of my voice to them. I, I need you to speak in because maybe there's some people who are a little off or are a little lost or are maybe a little confused in this season. And I found this phrase keep coming up in conversations I was having. It started actually last Sunday in a conversation with some community group leaders that we had. It happened in our staff meeting. It's just happened in a few different places. And I feel like this has been what God has been showing me and been giving me hope and courage in the season. And I'm, and I'm hoping it can you as well. Because we've been in a crazy season of life. Here in our country and in countries around us, guys, it's not good. I guess hard, like, like, even people who, who are non-religious or who, who don't believe in Jesus are still going like, man, like, I don't know what the end looks like, but this is not, not good. And we see all this stuff going around, man, it should, it should do something inside of us. But I know just from conversations I've had with other people and conversations I've even had in my own heart, there's still this, this moan inside of us. That once we see what happens in Afghanistan, when we, when we see what's happening as, as COVID continues to, to, to go through and to devastate lives and hurt people that, that we love, and, and, and it is a real thing. As all this is swirling around us, man, there, there is just something in us that, that I know goes, goodness, I wish things could just get back to normal. And as I've heard and as I've felt and myself said that, probably hundreds of times over the last two years. This is what I have to say to you today. Normal is not coming back, but Jesus is. He is coming back, and he has a purpose, and he has a plan, and he, and he has things that he is, he is trying to do through the stuff that we do not like right now. Because think about it. Think about normal. When you even hear the word normal, that implies, man, I want things to be chill, like I've been there, done that before. Uh, I want it to be something where I can kind of switch my life on autopilot and just continue to go as I had been going. And, and as I look through the scripture, and again, this is what I'm talking about, some of like my own life, how I'm letting God's word speak to and minister to me. As I read through these pages, man, I, I don't see people who live normal lives. There's anything but normal as you start to go through here, guys. So this is a passage I want to show you, and man, for real, if it's your first time here, this is not how we normally uh, start things out, but I just got to, I got, this, again, there are times where I'm like, Jesus, do I have to? And this is one of those weeks where he's like, mm-hmm. And it's Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. As you're turning there, which I hope you do, or pull it up or something, because I want you to see this, highlight it, remember it. Um, there's a lot of confusion right now, Right? We don't know what to trust. We don't know what's certain. Whether it's the price of lumber at Lowe's, what's going to happen in the Middle East, 
Are we going to lock everything down again? You know, it feels like we know nothing for certain. I think here in this passage, Jesus shows us the two most important things that right now we can know for certain. They're not easy to swallow. So Hebrews 9, 27. Just as man is destined to die once. Pause. Again, not how you normally start out sermons, but I'd be like, you're going to die. But in a world full of uncertainty, in a world full of not knowing how things are going to go, here's what you can know. Like, at some point, we're going to die. Like, at some point, this life, this earth, what's happening right now is going to end. So everybody here, in a world full of uncertainty, we don't know what's going to happen. Here's what you do know is going to happen. At some point, your life's going to end. Then he says, there's another thing coming too. Just as a man is destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment. Which again, not fun to swallow, not fun to intro a sermon with. Everybody's going to die, and then everybody's going to stand before a holy God. And be judged. One thing. What did you do with Jesus? Was he your Lord? Was he your Savior? Had you surrendered your life to him? That, we're going we're to receive judgment based off of who was Jesus to you. See, was somebody you were a fan of, you knew some facts about, you'd gather together and hear about him on Sunday and go live how you wanted to the rest of the week. Who was he? Everybody, every single person in this room. Life is going to end. And when that does, whether it's via war, whether it's via vaccine, whether it's via a virus, life is going to end. And if anything should come from all of the craziness we see around us, it should be that reminder that it's fickle, that it's over so fast, that we only have so much time in this earth that we have to make the most of it and to make sure that we're on the right side of judgment. So he says, okay, two things I can guarantee. One, you're going to die. Two, you're going to face judgment. It goes from there. Verse 28. I love this a lot better than verse 27. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. Now, because he did that, because he was sacrificed to take away the sins of many people, now those who have accepted that ability that he has said, I have taken your sins away, now you can stand before the judgment seat of God and be pumped about it, going, hey, I'm good. All of my sins, everything that was on me, it's not on me anymore. Because Jesus took that. It's his. I can, I don't have to, and what this does, church, this frees us up from fearing death. Our own personal death, and the death of anybody we would love, who we know is in Christ. He goes from there. Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. All right, now here's where we get hope. Okay, so he came, he lived on this earth, he lived a perfect, absolutely perfect life, not even one hint of sin in his life, died, took not just our, our punishment, but actually became the sin. The Bible says that he who was not sin became sin, so we might become the righteousness of God. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still enemies of God, his love treated us like we were friends of God, much more than friends, even sons and daughters of God. And now we come into this moment, we're being free. We can stand before him if we're in faith. He says, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. Then, he says, he will appear a second time. So he came to this earth. He did what he did here. 
paid the way for you to have victory if you put your faith in him. And now he's back with the Father. Some would say he's in heaven. And he's got the countdown clock going. All of us here on this side of eternity, we don't know where that countdown clock is. We can look around and pick some clues and kind of see some stuff based off of what we see in God's word and go, man, like, hey, if there's a time when it feels like it's ticking down, this feels like it. We don't know when that is, but what he promises is that he's going to return. And upon that return, it's going to be when that judgment happens. So he says, all right, just as man is destined to die once and after that face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, because he already did that, but to bring salvation for those who are waiting on him. When he comes back, when he returns, what he's coming to do is to bring salvation for those who are waiting on him. So my question is, have you got caught up in waiting for normal to return or are you here today in this seat right now, watching online right now, not waiting on normal to come back, but waiting on him? If you're not waiting on him, you may just miss the bus. And I'm not trying to, to scare somebody into thinking they're not saved when they are saved. And I'm in this other side of the tension of going, I don't want to just lull someone into believing that they are saved when they really are not. And I think that question of what are you waiting for really determines what you're hoping in. Is it in America getting back to how it used to be? Is it in your bank accounts and whatever? Is it lumber prices getting back? Is it a different uh, part of a government getting back in place? Is it, is it peace somewhere? Or is it simple realization that there is no hope, N-O, no hope in this world? The only hope is the one who is coming, who said he was making all things new on this world. And our question is, where aren't we putting our hope in him? Now, you may hear that and go, okay, yes, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait expectantly on Jesus to come back. And I'm going to go off the grid and churn my own butter. I'm going to homeschool my kids, get them out of these wicked, depraved Henry County school systems. And we're going to go and just live in a van down by the river somewhere, which has gotten really in now, if you haven't noticed. We're just going to isolate ourselves away from everybody and everything until he comes back. I want to read a verse to you. Uh, it's in the book of Proverbs um, the king who, who writes Proverbs to, to help us understand how to live life, I believe under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, shows us, okay, here's what you do while you wait. You don't cross your arms and build a bunker. Because he says he's coming for every man, not just you as a man or a woman. Proverbs 24, 10 through 12. Verse 10, he says, you falter in times of trouble. How small is your strength? Mm. Rescue those who are being led away to death. Hold back those who are staggering towards slaughter. And then it's as if he knows where our cynical minds go. And he says, but if you say, we knew nothing about this, does he who not weighs the heart Perceive it. Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay each person according to what he has done? He says, for the love of God, uncross your arms. Get back on the grid. 
Go to the places where people are staggering away into death and let this reality that you have now received this grace be given out through you and to you. And he said, if you pretend like you can just cross your arms and go, well, I didn't really know how bad it was off with my sister-in-law. He's going, does not God know your heart? He's going, God knows that you know that if they were to die today, like if, he, like if God really showed up and it was like, all right, I need you to really be honest with me here. If they die, where do you think they're going? And you know, like if he showed up and he asked you that, you'd be like, not heaven. Because you don't even want to say hell. Not heaven. He'd go, you're right. And I think he would look at me and you and go, do something about it. Don't cross your arms. Don't find another article to share to complain about how bad things are. Go love somebody. Go care for people. Go, go. And again, like, I don't know. Like, that's the thing. When the world gets worse, this is what we're bad at. And I'm, I'm in this bucket with you. And this is why my heart is just, I feel like I've been softening this week. Like, when things get worse, we like, all right, you know, rally the troops, turn the wagons inward. Let's all just bat down the hatches. I think Jesus says, hey, you're fooling yourself if you think you're the church like I want you to be the church. If you sit in your comfortable chairs, in your comfortable online environments, and you wait for the people to stagger in here, uh, for, for, for the drunk or, or, or the, the sexually immoral or, or the prostitute or the, or the pimp or, or the drug addict or, or the homeless person. Let's just get in here and wait on them to stagger in and then we'll try to pull them from the fire. No. Jesus is going to go, I know your heart. And you knew those people were at your workplace. You knew you played ball with those people. You knew those people were on your sports team. You knew those people were all around you. And you pretended like they weren't. He says, I'm going to judge you by what you do what you do with the fact that I have given my life for you. They look at us and go, what are you willing to give? You willing to lay down some awkward moments? You willing to lay down some invites? You willing to, to, to pick up the tab at lunch? You willing to awkwardly walk up to somebody, a stranger, and go, hey, can I pray for you? I don't know why, but can I pray for you? What are we willing to lay down? So again, I, I don't know where this lands. I know this is like, whoa, what happened to him this week? Um, I don't know, you get a guy, you make him talk about sex and divorce and porn and marriage for three weeks in a row like there's something else that just comes out the week where he doesn't have to talk about that anymore um here's here's what i want you to know our only hope is jesus and i want to spend some time this morning before and i I got we got a hopefully a short one today because i feel like i've already preached you half a sermon this morning already um i just want to take some time and pray i just pause Pray for what's going on in Afghanistan. Man, there's, I read an article. And it said that, that, that Christians in Afghanistan are fleeing to the mountains. So pray that God meets them in the mountains. And I was just like, it's not up there. Um, I, I would show you my phone. For the last three years, the, the, there are four words on the cover of my phone on its lock screen, lock screen. It's a picture of the mountains of Denali. And it says, go up the mountain. And it came from this, this thought. I heard this message by Francis Chan. He said, there's so many people who want to get a selfie with a guy who went up the mountain and met with God. Well, I want to go to the conference and hear this guy talk about all these things. Or I want to go to a church with this great preacher who obviously spends time with God. And he was talking to a missionary who was actually in India. And he, he's a pastor there leading churches, leading a church planning movement. He says he, he, was, he was weeping, this pastor in India, and weeping because he, he says, I don't understand you American churches. 
Everybody is just content to meet with the person who's went up the mountain and not go up the mountain themselves. And in the same way we, we pray for these people as they're going into the mountains, it gives me great confidence to know that our God has a history, a very good track record of meeting people in the mountains. Whether it's Sinai, Hebron, whatever, he meets people in the mountains. And friend, he met you on a mountain too. One called Calvary. Where the Son of Man gave his life to say, life from this moment forward for you should be different. Because it means you're going to take up your cross. And you're going to follow me. It's going to look different than what culture and society and everything around you looks like. But if you're willing for the wildest ride you've ever experienced, if you're willing to wash up on the shores of glory with nothing left in the tank but everything in front of you, come and follow me. And so we're going to pray for country, pray for unity within the church, pray for those who are sick right now with the virus. Pray that God will continue to make much of him through us. You take time where you sit, right where you're at. And uh, after, after some time, I'll... Uh, I'll close this out. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Lord Jesus, come. Father, Father, forgive us for, for in the moments, even the good things, Jesus, even, even the good things when we say, Jesus, beg, we beg you to come. Even, even for the fathers and mothers in the room who go, no, I miss my kids. I want to see, I want to see them. I want to see them go to college. I want to see them graduate. God, all these things in this world that we, we've, even good, really good, God-ordained things, God, that we put in front of you, laid on the altar, God, and we said, this is God. Forgive us for those. Anything that, would long, that we would long to see more than to long to see your face, forgive us. And renew this, this fire within us, God, to be your people. Who, who by the power of the truth, that, that what was broken, that what was lost, that what was destined for death and hell can be made new by the power of your resurrection, Jesus. If resurrection power is what saved us, let that resurrection power be what gives us life. To be the saved people who are used by you to pull others from the fire. I give some of us in the room the courage to go to where people may be stumbling. Give us the courage to, to walk right up to sin's slaughterhouse and say, not today, not today. 
not anymore. Bring people across our paths, God, that we can no longer ignore. Interrupt our daily scheduled programs, Jesus, for your sake and for the sake of others. And be with us as we continue to dive into your word today. You are the way, you are the truth, you are the life. And there's no way to the Father, there's no way to eternal life, there's no way to any way, any place other than hell than through you, Jesus. Heaven forbid that we come here today and we don't learn more about what that path to you looks like. So speak. Speak through us. Speak to us. Get me out of the way, Jesus, so that they can hear you. In your name. Amen. All right. If you got a Bible, go to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in Matthew 5, 33. We've been in this... Um, section as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, and we're calling it arrhythmia. And arrhythmia is the scientific term for irregular heartbeat. As Jesus turns into this section, what he begins to talk about are all the things that will hinder us from truly living this inside-out life. He's saying what you thought about religion, of it just being this thing that you do to make people like you and notice you and think you're a good person, is garbage. The real thing is having a heart that beats in rhythm with me and a life and a righteousness that flows from what I've done in your heart that you could have never done for yourself that now is living through you. And so we come to this passage after he's already talked about um, anger, as he's already talked about lust, as he's already talked about adultery, as he's already talked about divorce, and he comes to this place here and he says, I want to talk to you about your integrity. I want to talk to you about the lies that you tell each other. And in 533, he says this, and again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows that you have made. Simply put, here's what he's saying. And this is kind of, again, i got to give you the context so you understand what he's speaking into because he is helping everybody in the, in the crowd today. And he's, again, he's giving this sermon, open-air preaching on a hillside in Galilee. He's giving the sermon to them. And what's happening in that modern uh, society that they live in, there's these pharisaical teachers. And what they're telling people is, here's God's law. Here's God's command. Now, here's how that really plays out in life. And what Jesus is doing is he's saying, the way that you have taken and twisted the interpretation of how God's law really turns out in life is garbage. He's saying, you've tried to find all these loopholes and all these different things, and they're wrong. That's why he says, you've heard it said. And again, we talked about this last week. Who you give an ear to is who you give a heart to. What you listen, the voices that you are listening to right now in this very moment are the ones who are determining what you do with your life and who you're becoming. So he says, hey, here's what you've heard, here's what you've heard it's how you've heard it said before. And that's not good. He said, you, you heard it said, don't, don't give oaths. And what was happening there is they took this God-given command that was don't use God's name in vain, don't swear, don't do these things. And then they found ways to get around this. They live in a completely oral society, so there's no prenuptial agreements, no e-contracts, none of these things, no things you email this thing and I'll sign it. Everything was word of mouth, spit in hand, handshake kind of stuff. So if you said, hey, I'm going to give you four uh, goats if you give me two oxen, You'd say that's what you're going to do. Now, if you were going to really make an emphasis there, you'd say, I swear by the hair on my head, I'll give you these goats. And they'd be like, okay. Now, what was happening is people would say, I swear by all sorts of different things, but as long as they didn't say, I swear by God, they could get out of it. Because it was as if they didn't bring God into the situation. And so Jesus is saying, I see your lack of integrity. You're telling these people this thing, and it's kind of like you've got your, your fingers crossed behind your back. He's saying, why not 
Just be honest. Why not leave the door cracked for a better deal to come in? Why are you doing this? So he, he tells him this, and he goes on, and he kind of explains a little bit more what they're doing in 34 and 35. He says, but I tell you, don't swear an oath at all. Saying, again, you're dumb. Don't do that. Either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth. These are all things that they were swearing by. They would say, you know, I swear by heaven, or I swear by God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And, verse 36, and do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. So, what's happening here is he's trying to explain to them. You're trying to give these promises to people. And you're telling people you're going to do one thing, or you're giving them this word, and you're thinking that you can always get out of it as long as you don't bring God into it. What Jesus is saying here, and this is all laid out by the examples he gives, he said, you swear by heaven, uh, hello, that's kind of his place. You're, you're swearing by the, th- like, earth, well, he, kind of his place too, like, that's his ottoman, that's his foot, like, that's his. New Jerusalem, like, that's his city. And then he talks about your head, which in that day and age, you, you wouldn't necessarily swear by, like, swearing by your head was kind of like you saying, like, I swear on my life, like how we say, like, I swear on grandmama's grave, like, all those types of things. Uh, we swear on a life. They, they would just say, I swear on my head, and that was kind of their way of saying, you know, I swear on my life, kill me if I'm lying, type of thing. He's saying, yeah, that's his too. It's kind of like when you watch a, um, a movie or one of those sappy drama sitcoms or whatever, and, um, you know, usually it's the hu- husband in the, in the story, you know, the, the wife, and they're just marital conflict, and everything's just, you know, going bad, and um, she takes the kids and leaves, and he has this idea to um, commit adultery and have a, quote-unquote, uh, an affair, and, you know, they text him back and forth and everything else, and, you know, he's inviting her to come over uh, to, to, the, to their house, and they're at the house, you know, the, you know as he's waiting on her to come in, you know, there's usually the, uh, you've seen the scene before, there's, there's the picture of him and the wife, you know, Disneyland with the kids. And right there, before he can kind of make, he makes that decision, you know, he ho- picks it up, and you've, you've seen it in the show, he looks at it, thinks about it for a second, and he opens the cabinet, and he puts it in there, and he closes it back, and he waits on her to come over. See, what Jesus is saying here is, uh, He's saying, you can't put God in the nightstand. He's saying, you can't flip his picture over. He's saying, and this is the theological term, he's saying God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. Whether you wanted to bring him into the situation or not, newsflash, he's already there. He's, he's here in every moment of it. And this is, this is hard for them and it's hard for us because we live our lives like God is only even places like this. Like, oh, the Lord is in the place. Well, he was also in your car when you cuss out the person who cut you off. Like, he's in all those places. We, did we, we just sang a song about that. Next time we sing that one, we'll be like, and he's in all the places. Like, just hum that and just realize that. Remember, he's in this place and other ones. It's kind of like my granddad. Like, he's my hero. And this is, this is what I think Jesus is after. He's live your life in a way that it would be like if, if, if he was right beside you. So for me, like, I, the, the best thing I can think of is like my granddad. Like, my granddad's beside me, and in his old age, like, one of the, the things that we go do out of the house together is, is we'll go to Kroger, and we'll go grab some groceries together. And I know his life is coming to an end, so I savor these moments. Just being a walk around with my granddad and hear him flirt with cashiers that are, like, 50 years younger than him. It's hilarious. 
And I love these moments. But in the same way that Jesus is saying God is everywhere, like when I'm there with my granddad, I'm not like, oh, I better straighten up. I better act nice to everybody. I better just be respectful and everything else. No, I'm with somebody who I know has already shown me a track record of loving me regardless of whatever I do. I've already seen a man who's willing to sacrifice so much for my betterment and for my good to say no to a lot of things so I could say yes to some things. I've already been there with that man. He's saying that's, that's how it is when you realize that Jesus is with you, that God is with you everywhere you go. It holds you accountable, not from a, oh, crud, I better straighten up kind of side of things. But it holds you accountable from the side of things the way it would be with my granddad is saying, man, because I'm, what I know you've already done for me, there's nothing I want to do now that would make, you, make me or make you any less proud of me than you are already are. So I'm not living under the weight of doing everything right. I just know how much you love me. And I don't want to make you any less proud of me than you are right now. So I'm going to do what's best. And it brings that freedom. And Jesus is saying, that's what integrity can bring. King David, he, he wrote um, one of the uh, Psalms, one of the songs that he was writing. He wrote about this truth. In Psalm 16, 8, he said, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Which is his way of saying, I'm not recognizing that God is with me when I want him to be with me. He's saying, in my mind, I'm just going ahead and saying, he's here. And I'm living my life like he is here. And because I'm living my life like he is here, it frees me up to be at a place where I know that one, I don't do things that he would be ashamed of. And two, that regardless of what happens, because he's with me, I can tell the truth. I can live the truth. I can be who I really am. See, what Jesus is after here is much deeper than making promises. He's after our integrity. And this is how he says things are going wrong. And in verse 37, he says, okay, here's what you need to do. Verse 37, he says, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from not bad upbringing, but from the evil one. So what he's saying there, again, as simply as I can put it, all he's saying there is say what you mean and mean what you say. That's, all, that's literally like it's that simple. And we have a hard time with this, guys, like a real hard time. Now, it comes out different because we talk different than people talk back then. And there's not a whole lot of you like when something's going on, like, you know, when you're dropping your kids off at football practice, you're like, I swear by the temple gold that I will be here to pick you up on time. Like, we don't talk like that. Right? When people ask us, you know, to RSVP to their kid's birthday party, we're not like, I swear by the gray hairs on my head, not the black ones, the gray hairs on my head that I will be at your birthday party. We don't talk like that. We say things like this. Show them some up here. We say things like, will you come? Uh, probably. Which, you know, is cool in my household. I got, we have two boys, and you can even see their personalities kind of come out. We tell one probably, and he thinks he's going to get it. We tell the other one probably, and he's like, it ain't happening. <laughs> it's hilarious. You know, and then, and then you get invited to something or somebody asks you or they want you to do something or help out. And you say things like, well, I'm not sure what we have going on. You, you probably have yours. You know, for me, another one that I use often is, um, well, let me, let me talk to Jess about it. Let me talk to my wife about it. Which is like, I have already in my heart a half-hearted no. And maybe she can give you a half-hearted no so we can give you a full no. Like I did it yesterday. Like there's a, a little girl came to my door. She's trying to sell cookie dough. And man, I just, I can't tell little girls. Like she's just a cute little kid. She wanted to sell cookie dough core stuff. And in my heart, I'm going, I'm not buying cookie dough. Like I know it already in my heart. I'm like, can I see the sheet? Can I see the sheet? 
I'm not gonna buy, I know I'm not gonna buy it. I'll get into that a little bit later. But that's our problem, is, is we don't wanna commit to stuff. And, and listen, younger generation, this is your big, this is a big issue, especially my generation down, because we live with this FOMO. We like to keep our options open. If there's one thing that's kind of a big knock on millennial and Gen Z, it's that we have a lack of commitment. And we don't wanna commit to anything because we wanna keep our options open. We're like, well, we'll, we'll see what else happens. You know, maybe. Until something better. Some of you, like, seriously, you're, you're in this room right now, and you're only here because something better didn't come up. Like, some of you are online right now because, like, I don't know, there maybe not a better service. I don't know. Not a better cat video. So, here, here's what you need to know about commitment. The way you handle commitment reveals your character. The way you do these things, the way you, when you tell somebody you're going to do something, you either do or don't, that reveals your character. And this is what Jesus is after here. Because there are a lot of people, man, so many people I've met, you've probably met before. There's a lot of people who don't trust, don't trust Christ because they didn't trust Christians. Some, some dude who owns a business, the plumber thing with the fish on the back, just took them under the rug. It's like, well, I don't, that's what those guys do? I don't want to be one of those guys. In the same sense, the other side of that is true as well, which is the positive where we can be proactive. There's a lot of people in this room who you trusted Christ because you first trusted a Christian. Somebody said, hey, man, like they, you, you saw what God was doing in their life and how they had different character. There was just something about them. And they said, hey, man, will you come to church with me? And you trusted them enough to come and experience something. And you're like, man, well, maybe that, again, it works both ways. You can push somebody further away or you can bring somebody to Christ all based off of your character. And see, Jesus knows that we live in a society and we live in a in system even then and now. And our hearts are just as jacked up as the people on this page in the Bible as you, these seats that we have here. Again, it just sounds different. So when it comes to our lies, which are just, not necessarily our lies, but how we re-emphasize that we are going to do something or that something is true, we say some words like this. See if these land with you. We say things like this. I actually said this like in between services. Um, no lie! That chihuahua was like 45 pounds. It's the biggest chihuahua I've ever seen. No lie. I told somebody, I was, I was in between service, I was telling a story about something that happened this weekend, and I said, true story. And I was like, ugh, I'm so bad at this. As if every other story I've ever told him was a lie. <laughs> or or this, this one, I, I hear this from, from, from females a lot. Seriously? Like, seriously? If she posts one more picture about her new boyfriend? Like, seriously? Or I'm not even kidding. Again, like everything you, else you said was a joke. Now, here. Real talk. This one, maybe young people, this is normal in your vernacular. If you're 55 over, all right, you want to get a young person to listen to you, all right? Especially like, man, say they're dating somebody that you don't think they need to be dating. Just sit them down and go, real talk, you need to break up with them. And watch what happens. Like, if you try to do it your old school way of like, honey, let me just, let me just, let me just. I just don't think they're the best part. Like, if you just sit them down and go, and maybe if you clap, if you hit real talk, like, watch what happens. I'm telling you. Pro tip. Or, again, this is, this is one, I mean, you've heard me say this before from stage. I'll be honest. Like, again, like everything I said for the first 45 minutes was a lie. I'll be honest. This is what we do. And why we do this? We do this because we're trying to emphasize, hey, we're telling the truth. I know a lot of what we say in this world is lies, but here's the one thing I want to, really, like, if you don't believe anything, believe this one thing. See, Jesus is putting this on the same side. He's going, just let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. You don't got to prove it. You, if you have enough character, you can tell the craziest story in the world. And people go, that happened. 
because your character backs that up. So we hear a story like this, and we read through things like this, and I think what Jesus is after here is much more than like whether or not you actually show up to the birthday party, RSVP, or you, you know, if you say you're going to serve in children's ministry, you actually show up and have a real reason. You're like, well, something came up. Well, like, well, that's something with sleep. That doesn't count. Um, so he's saying, I need to get down to your integrity. If you know uh, mathematical terms, which I don't know a whole lot, um, but the word integrity, it comes from the math term integer. An integer, it, it just means basically like a whole number, a number that's not been fractioned out or cut in half. See, now we're getting at something because that's kind of how we live our lives. And that lack of integrity, it, it leads us to a place where some bad things can happen. I want to try to show you a little bit of this here. All right? So um, we'll take, now oh, that apple can, well, I'll put it down here. So say, say this is your life, all right? Good apple, as God created you to be. Like, this is you, all right? Now, what always happens, inevitably, is we get into different environments, whether it's work, school, online, whatever, and we have to become a little bit different. We lie or we shapeshift a little bit of who we are, those weird little quirks, we kind of hide them, or we try to, you know, upsell how good we were in high school at some sport or weightlifting or whatever to try to fit in and be tough and cool and all these other things. Never done that before. Um, we do all those things, and what happens there is we become divided out. So what happens is maybe you have a, a church you and a, a work you, all right? Now, all the people at church, they only know this you, okay? They see this you, and they think that's all of who you are. People at work, same deal. This is, who, this is all they think you are. Now, when you come back into the quiet confines of your Toyota Camry or you lay your head down at night, you know, like, this is who I really am. And to you, like, it still looks good, all right? But what ends up happening is you don't just have church and work. You have other stuff. So you've got church, work, you've got online you, which is like, I'm going to make sure, I'm going to filter these things, I'm going to take it with the angle, I'm going to maybe um, only post pictures from my, my, my hunt so people think I'm more outdoorsy than I am, I'm going to post pictures of my tr- truck, and then the, 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 I've only worked on it three times, I'm going to only post pictures about that three times I worked on it so people think I'm a mechanic and I really know how to do things, but really I'm insecure because uh, my dad wasn't around to teach me how to work on vehicles. But again, these are all the backstory, this stuff really happens, and even in my brain sometimes. All these things are out here. You have all these different people that you kind of are, okay? And it's all out there. Now, all these people in these different environments, they only know this part of you, okay? Now, again, you've got to lay your head on your own pillow. So you try to get back, and you're like, okay, cool, yeah. Let me get it, let me get it. All right, I think that's how I fit back together. And then you're like, okay, I feel weird, right? And the more you fake it, the more weird you feel, right? The further you get away from who you really are. And again, we go back to our lives, we go back to all these different places, and then we get online. And while we're online, we meet somebody who graduated when we graduated. And uh, they're single, all right? And we start kicking up a conversation. And we say something like, I wonder what it would have been like if, da, 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 da. And so we do that. And we're online, and we maybe look at some things we shouldn't look at. You know what we do? We cleared up browser history. We go to work. The boss says, hey, do you, do, you, do you have that file that I told you I wanted? And you go, yeah, coming right up. I'll bring it to you. And you haven't even started yet. You have no idea. You don't even know what he's talking about. Cut that in half. You come to church. And you're around one person like, man, I just don't know about that music. I just, I, it's not my thing. And you go, you know what? It's not my thing either. And then you get around somebody from the worship team. And you're like, y'all sounded so good today. 
coming for you. <laughs> and, then you're, and, then, and then you're at home, you know? And your wife is like, how's this dress look on me? And you're just like, I ain't going there. And you just slice that thing up. And one of your kids says, who's your favorite? He says, I don't have any favorites. And then, again, when the quiet confines of your own Ford F-150, Toyota Camry, putting your head down on your pillow at night, when you try to get back together and think about who am I, you're like, I, I, don't, I don't really know anymore. Like, I know I'm not what I used to be. I'm something, I'm a fruit salad, I don't know. I know, I, I know I'm not the same. See, when you talk to people who um, have blown their life up with addiction, blown their life up through a marital affair, embezzling of money, all those types of things, when you sit down and talk to those people as they're coming out of whatever those situations are, they won't just admit, man, I feel so sorry for the things I did. I, I feel so broken for the things I did. What they will say is, I, I got to a place where I don't even realize who I am anymore. That's exactly what happens. Because you have fractioned yourself out into so many different things. You have no idea who you are anymore. If you make enough decisions in your life that only benefit you, you lose you. So Jesus says, hey, maybe there's a, there's a better option. Maybe there's a better way to do this. And I think we can find the better way to do this by actually understanding um, a word that I don't, I'm not crazy about how it's translated. If you've got a Bible, um, flip back up to Matthew 5.33. Flip back up to Matthew 5.33. Okay, so what do we do with all this? Again, we stink at this. All of us are fruit salads for the most part. Okay, what do we do? Okay, so I want to show you a word that's not really translated how I think it, how, how I think it should be. It's kind of a different translation. Um, it fits with the text, but I think it misses the point. 5.33, it says, again, I, you've heard it said from the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill. If you've got your own Bible, underline fulfill. Fulfill to the Lord the vows that you have made. Now, a few verses up, when Jesus is talking about being angry and repaying stuff and not letting it go to court, he says, you know, forgive fast. He's talking about forgiveness. He says, forgive the person who's done something against you while it's still early or you'll have to go to court and you won't get out until you pay the very last penny. I'm paraphrasing, but he's, that's the word he uses. He says, you won't get out until you have paid your whole debt. In Greek, the, the, how the Bible is translated, the word pay it's transla- or that, that word is pay there, and then fulfill is translated fulfill. But it's really the same Greek word. One place is translated pay, the next place is translated fulfill. I think a better understanding of what that word really means is not fulfill, but pay. Because the simple reality in our truth-telling is that we're not fulfilling promises. We're not keeping promises. You're paying promises. This is what you got to understand. The truth costs. The truth costs. Now, let me explain it to you like this. So, um, if I want to go out of here and go to La Peria, favorite Mexican restaurant, and I want to go get some tacos, all right, I'm, that, which is nine times out of ten, that's what I'm going to get if I go to La Peria. Um, tacos de tinga are street tacos. Steak, three of them. Um, the waiter comes to me, I'm going to pay a very cheap truth. doesn't cost me a whole lot to tell them exactly what I want. I want street tacos, all right? Now, when me and my wife get back from our honeymoon in Playa del Carmen, 
first week of marriage, she's cooking all the dinners. When she says, how was it? I've got the choice of whether I want to pay the price for the truth right there, right? Because if I really tell the truth, I mean, guys, we've been there. First week of marriage, the, the meals, they're not the best. You know, unless, she, unless somebody's just really taught her to cook and she's just crushing it. But the, the first, first month of meals, uh, you know, first marriage, you've got to pay that price. The truth costs. Now, some of you in this room are like me. You're approval people. So, like, you live or die whether or not somebody's happy with you or not. And you hate when people are mad at you. And because you hate it when people are mad at you, you'll tell them a lie so that they don't get mad at you. Well, you know if you told them the truth, they're probably like, you're a jerk. You know? What would you think about that? And you're like, it's all right, man. You're getting there. And you're not, <laughs> you, don't, you don't really mean it. And because you don't want to upset people and you don't want people to be upset with you, 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 you won't pay the price to tell that truth. And some of you are you're, you're control people. And you like to control instances. You like to control environments. And so, and what, you, what happens oftentimes with you is you know that if you, the price to tell the truth would mean you relinquish some of the control in the situation. That if I told them the truth about how I feel, maybe that I am struggling at this job, that I am struggling at raising these kids. If I told them the truth about this, well, then I would seem less powerful and less in control of my environment and my scenario if I really told them the truth. And so how, guys, how can we get to a place where we can be people who are secure enough to not have to lie to keep our own approval and secure enough to not have to lie to maintain power and control? I'll end with a story from John 18 that I think beautifully explains this. Jesus, as he's coming to the end of his life, um, he, he's taken before the high priest, and one of the high priests just, he just smacks Jesus for the disrespect that Jesus is giving. And he smacks him right in the face, and then this comes after. It's John 18. Smacks Jesus in the face, and then this, Jesus, this is how Jesus responds. He said, if I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify to what I did wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? See, the Pharisees, they couldn't take the truth. And it goes on from there. They end up taking Jesus to Pilate. He's getting ready to go be crucified. I want you to see the undercurrent of what leads him all the way up to the cross. Getting ready to take him to be crucified. Verse 37, 1837. Pilate's talking. He says, you're a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, uh, you're right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born. For this, I came to the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. This is a man who's already been punched in the face, crowned thorn on his head, flogged 40, uh, 39 times. His back looks like bloody hamburger meat at this point. He's standing bold and confident. He says, anybody, anybody who listens to me, they're on the right side of truth. And then, that man, Jesus, goes to the cross. And he gives his life as the truth. He called it. He called it. He said, I'm the way, the truth, 
and the life. And he goes and he gives his life there on the cross. And, and again, it's such a beautiful display of, of what hinders us from telling the truth. We think when we tell the truth, man, I'll have to be vulnerable and I'll have to lay myself really out there. And then we see Jesus whipped and naked, completely open and vulnerable, laughing stock of the crowd. He's there wide open before the world to say, this is what truth costs. Cost me my life. I was willing to lay this down for you. Because I am the truth. And so for us, whether it's approval or whether it's control or, or, or being able to have the power, Jesus comes in and goes, you want to learn how to tell the truth? Look at what it costs me. Look to the cross. When you look at the cross, you see, man, I don't have to lie to get their approval. Look what you did. I don't, I don't need a boy to notice me. I don't have to post these. I don't need to filter this thing. I don't need to tell a boss this. I don't need to lie to my, like, look what you did. You obviously are showing me and the rest of the world that we don't have to live for their approval because you have given us all the approval we need by giving your life for us. See, he looked at you and saw every part of you, every lie, every prop in your ego. All the times you said, if I buy this, it will be able to more round out who I want to be to them. He saw all of it and goes, if you ever doubt how much approval you have from God and how much you don't need from man, look at the cross. And then from power, he says, listen, I had all power in the world to just completely blink an eye, full-blown bewitch stuff and just blow up the whole thing. While I'm here, I could have called down a legion of angels' armies to just blast the scribes, blast the Pharisees, blast these Roman centurions, crush them all. And I gave my life willingly for you. It's a beautiful power of surrender. And then I called my shot. Like, I rose from the grave. That's power. Like, to say, I'm willing to release control to the one who can control life and death. So me and my kid getting into this school, that's not life and death. Me pretending when I go to the family reunion like I'm doing better than I am, that's not a life and death thing. That's life and death. That's it. I don't have to lie anymore because now when I look to the cross, I can see what the truth cost. It cost him everything. So I don't have to worry about whether or not I can pay it anymore because I see the one who has paid it all. Church, as we get ready to receive communion, that's what it's all about. It's all about the fact that he has paid it all. Now that I can, live a, I can live a true life. I can live in a fullness of my identity. I don't have to pretend to be different people in different places. Now, I come to this place where the apple's back whole again. Where, again, think about God's original intent. They're in the garden. Adam and Eve. You want to talk about vulnerability? They are naked and unashamed. And not just naked and unashamed with each other. Which could be cool, like you're married, you know, like that's fine. But they're naked and unashamed with God. And they're just in the garden, good as new. Loving life until sin finds its way in. And their teeth fracture the fruit of being perfectly honest and vulnerable and open with each other and with God. But what Jesus promises is I'm making all things new. And there will come a day where there will be no posing, there will be no filtering, there will be no, I wonder if they really meant that. There will come a day when you will be truly who he created you to be, a son and a daughter 
of the Most High King. And listen, if you're in a relationship right now with him, I pray that you continue to live out more of his truth. But if you're here today and you're not in a relationship with Jesus, today's the day, friend. Come to him. You've been living a life for way too long. Get out of it. Come Come into his love. Live for his approval and receive his power. If you make that decision today, I'd love to help, help you walk through that. I'd love to connect with you. I'd love to lead you through the waters of baptism where you really become something new. That's where the fruit salad of your life gets put back together by the power of the Holy Spirit through the waters of baptism. If you want to make that decision today, I pray you fill out one of those next step cards. You can put it in the back. You can bring it up to me. You can bring it back there to the back. We're going to walk through that with you. Let's pray and then we'll receive communion together. Jesus be with my friends and family in this room Jesus help us to live out the truth that you've put in us there's not enough blood sweat and tears of good works that we could heap up that would be enough for you Jesus so I pray we're able to lay all that down and look to the cross where you didn't count our sins against us but you took those sins upon you and you gave your life for us so we could have a new life if we put our faith and our trust and we surrender to you. And Jesus, I pray that you forgive us of all the times where we thought telling the truth would cost us more than we would be willing to pay. Let us see you for who you are, Jesus. can't imagine how the world would change Jesus if even the Christians in this room became better truth tellers in a world full of lies plastic airbrushed fake would you allow your people to be true Jesus there's a time you let them know, Jesus, that there is a time coming where, where you, you and your word, you, pro, you say you were refined by fire. What's true is going to be shown true whether they like it or not. Whether, whether it's persecution coming, whether it's trials coming, whether it's temptations coming, God, you're, you're going to show us what's true. I pray you do. I pray we're willing to let you burn away anything in our life. It's not exactly what you want in there. Let our hearts be in rhythm with you.